0: Okay, now next on the tee with me is one of the top instructors in the game, Todd Kolb. Todd played his college golf at UNLV and later at New Mexico State. He was named a first-team All-Big West player in 1993. Later that year, he also became a member of the PGA of America. He opened the Todd Kolb Academy at Willow Run Golf Course in Sioux Falls, South Dakota in 2000. Golf Digest named him the 2022-2023 top instructor in the state of South Dakota. Previously, he was the 2008 Minnesota Teacher of the Year, and that year he finished tied for fourth at the Minnesota PGA Professional Championship. He was the 2010 and 2014 Dakota Chapter PGA Teacher of the Year. Also in 2010, he was the medalist for the U.S. Open local qualifying. You've probably seen Todd's instructional videos on U.S. Golf TV, YouTube, or over on his website toddcobe golf. dot com. He's written a wonderful instructional book titled "The Bad Lie: Why Traditional Golf Instruction Is Failing You and What to Do Instead." You can get that out on Amazon. dot com. And I'm delighted to have Todd with me today here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Todd, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity, and I. Thank you for that introduction. I'm going to have to bring you along with me to some other places. That was very well said. Thank you for that.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> Todd. With new guests, I always like to start by going back to the beginning. You know, when and where did you first start playing golf, and who was the first person to put a golf club in your hands?
1: Well, like a, like a lot of us, um, you know, I was introduced to the game uh, uh, by my dad. I've got two siblings, two sisters who are both younger than me, who who also uh, golf has been very good to them. Uh, both played collegiate golf at Texas Tech, uh, university. And, and my dad, uh, introduced us to the game. Uh, dad's been a, he's a, re, he's retired now, but he's a fireman by trade for 30 plus years. Mom was a school teacher for 50 years, uh, just your regular everyday family from the Midwest. And my dad was the one who put a golf club in all of us, uh, all of our hands, uh, to begin with. And, um, off we went and started running. And then, uh, my first real job was a caddy at the local country club here. And um, that's kind of how we got introduced to
0: the game. Todd, as a kid, when you first started playing the game, was there something that really stuck out to you, a memory that really is something that's embedded into your mind? I know the first par that I ever made was something that was really meaningful to me, along with being out there playing with my father as well. Was there something that sticks out to you about when you first started playing?
1: I remember some, that's, I remember some very vivid things about being a kid. I, I remember uh, playing golf. I, well, of course, just the love you had for the game, you know, back in the season, you could just play sun up to sundown and you'd ride your bike to the golf course and, and just try to, you know, uh, win quarters or stickers bars from your friends on the putting green. <laughs> um, remember hitting a lot of seven irons. I don't know why. Maybe my dad said, Hey, when you're working on your fundamentals, work with a seven iron. So I hit a ton of seven irons. I remember loving that. I remember the first time I shot under par at our at our junior day, you know, growing up. That was the big day on Fridays, play with your buddies, and, uh, you know, and I, I remember that. So I have a, a lot of fond memories as a kid uh, playing golf. I was a truly blessed, uh great childhood.
0: Todd, what led you to playing your college golf ultimately at New Mexico State? Had a great run there, first team All-Big West in 1993. Why New Mexico State?
1: The, uh, the backstory on that. So I graduated uh, high school in 1988, uh, was fortunate enough to qualify for the junior am, uh, the year before that, the summer before that. And I was actually recruited and, and spent my first two years at UNLV, uh, playing golf there in Las Vegas for coach Dwayne Knight, who just recently retired, uh, just the last couple of years here. And I was part of his first incoming class at UNLV. He had been at uh, the University of New Mexico for years and it had some, had some other fellow South Dakota golfers come there and do very well. Uh, many of your listeners, you might have uh, remembered that, Chris, uh, Tom and Kurt Byram, who Absolutely. both played the tour for years, are from South Dakota. And so, although I never had met Tom or Kurt, um, Coach Knight had had some success recruiting those guys because they are both were phenomenal collegiate players. And so uh, I came in and went there, had a very good experience for a couple of years. And then... Um, but wanted to do something different in terms of my career studies. And so, uh, I wanted to, I knew I wanted to get into golf and New Mexico State at that time in Las Cruces there it was one of only four schools that offered what they now call the professional golf management program, PGM program. And, uh, I knew I wanted to get into that. So off I went and I uh, played golf over there for two years for, uh, coach Herb Wimberly, just one of the most wonderful people you'll ever meet in the world. Um, played collegiate golf for him for two years and, and was was fortunate enough to play some good golf my my last year there, and uh, you know had a lot lot of good memories there.
0: Fast forward now, you're one of the top instructors in our game, and and what I love about how you teach, and it's not necessarily for the pros, even though you've had some great professional players come and work with you, but you seem to typically speak to the rest of us, which is what your book The Bad Lie is all about. Talk about your focus on us. And what we're gonna learn when we pick up a copy of the book,
1: yeah, it's a great question. thank you for asking that. one of the things I've always been real passionate about, maybe it's because of my upbringing and how I grew you know like I said, my dad taught me and both of my sisters to play golf. He was a fireman by trade, but he just loved golf. he'd read golf books and things like that, but but he was a real stickler on fundamentals um and trying to keep the game you know simple uh not easy golf is not. golf is not easy. we all know that it's probably why we love it, right but to try to keep the game simple, and so early on, when I started coaching golf, like uh, you know, I tried to keep the game simple. And then I, you, you kind of, I think, like all of us, as as we go through our careers, we go through different stages. And so I had been probably coaching for two or three years, and you know, having some success. But then I, the whole technology boom kind of took off, you know, Trackmans and the new ball flight laws force plates and all these things started coming on the market. And I love to learn, so I dove deep into that and the industry. Uh, Chris really went through a phase there where we got really into the data and, and data is good. I mean, don't get me wrong. Data is good, but we, we started to go down this path of, of numbers and angles and all these things. And I, and I, it, what I found is that even for myself, you know, for a lot of people who play golf, it just confused them. And here we are standing there trying to, you, you know, take a game that already is difficult. And we're making it even more complicated by throwing out all this information that, quite frankly, the student doesn't really need to know or doesn't care. And we're making it even more confusing for them. So I just told myself, enough is enough. And I'm not doing that anymore. And although I need to understand that information and I need to know what it means and I need to know that when I hit down on the golf ball, uh, that makes it easier for me to draw the golf ball, these types of concepts. But I need to be able to simplify that. Um And so that's that's how I've spent the last 10, 12 plus years on the coaching is is trying to take a, a game that is challenging and fun and really make it less complicated.
0: So let's take that a step further and your idea of trying to keep it simple. And we all need to start off by having really strong fundamentals starting in our setup. And most of us set up with our feet and toes kind of pointed straight out from our body, sort of perpendicular to the line we're aiming at. And I know that's the way that I was taught until one day a wise man came up to me and said, you know what, son, you need to flare those toes out. Talk about (laughs) why flaring the toes out can help us.
1: Yeah, it's much like the evolution. I'll be 53 here uh, in a few weeks. Um, I don't move like I used to move. Although I'm still, you know, God blessing, uh, very healthy. Um, but you know, I don't swing the club like I did when I was 19 or 20 or 22, like you're referencing, uh, New Mexico State there. And so as our body changes, I believe our swing needs to, you know, our swing evolves and changes. And so when I started to put the concepts of the book together, there was two real themes. Number one is what we just talked about there, Chris is how do we take a complicated game? And make it less complicated. How do we provide information to people who play on the weekends and love golf, but they're not going to sit on the driving range for hours and hours and, and practice, but they still want to get better. So that, that was that was number one. And number two is questioning we just call it traditional instruction. And I wanna be very clear about this. I and the theme of the book and the whole concepts here is not that what we label as traditional coaching is bad coaching. That's not the case at all. Well, nobody is saying that. But the question is, is, is that information the best information for, you know, the guy who's 63 and just retired, worked at the bank, loves golf and, and has a new, new hip? Is that the right information for him or, or the, the, the gal who, you know, just retired and took up golf for the first time at 65 years old? And so the premise behind the book was really those two things. So going back to your specific question, flaring the toes. When we flare the toes, um, number one is it helps with balance. It's easier to stay in balance, especially when we're shifting and moving pressure on the feet or weight on the feet. And number two is it opens up some of the hips, so it makes it easier to rotate and easier to move. And and so those are the real two premises, how I came about the book. Number one is let's keep it simple. But effective, number two is, let's just question, is the information that we're putting in front of people, albeit good information, is that the right information for where they are at in terms of their life and their current situation?
0: You have a chapter in the book about ball position. And some of us have been taught that you always keep the ball in the same position, regardless of what club you're Mm -hmm. playing, off the left heel, if you will. And some of us have been taught you move it back a little bit, a ball or two, as you move back through the bag as the loft gets higher. You move the ball back a little further in your position in your uh, stance. Talk about what is the correct ball position.
1: Well, I think it's I think it's twofold. Number one, I think we want to differentiate between a driver and and a ball that's on the ground. Uh, they number one, we can talk about driver here in just a second. But in general, what I see most amateur golfers do, which is really kind of who the book is written for the book is written for as i mentioned 57 62 whatever just retired or loves golf and and, and wants some new information new way to look at how they can play better but I, in general i think most golfers have the ball too far forward so i tend to have them move the ball back and their stance a little bit or what, what we might consider a little bit back of quote normal or traditional and i think we do that for a couple reasons number one is that, especially with iron is it improves contact. I think it definitely improves contact and helps them hit solid golf shots. Number two is is most people, uh, like for six iron, if anything, they struggle with, with hitting a draw. They tend to fade the golf ball. And without diving into the weeds, because that's really the premise of the book, is that when we hit down on the golf ball, all things being equal, it, it makes it easier to not only hit the ball solid, but also draw or hit a draw shot, draw, draw shot shaped uh, golf shot. And so, in general, I like to see the ball back maybe a little bit more so than some people. Now, when we're hitting the driver, when the objective is to hit up on the golf ball, yeah, some of you want to move the ball forward more off the lead heel or even off the toe a little bit, depending upon our swing style, to help us hit up on that golf ball, which is a key component uh, to getting more distance for the average player.
0: You also have a drill, speaking of drivers, that, uh, I love in the book and it's called the T drill that shows us where we should be when we're at the top of our backswing. Talk about mm. that drill.
1: <laughs> You've done your research. This is good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is good.
1: Thank you. I've done some other podcasts and then nobody asked specific questions. So you're keeping me on my toes, Chris. I love it. Thank you. Um, so this, <laughs> this, uh, we, we call it the T different names. We've called it T to the sky, different things like that, but, but the lead wrist. For a right-handed golfer, which is the left wrist, or typically the, the hand that people wear in gloves, um, is, is probably has the biggest impact on the position of the club face. Open, closed, square. Okay. So what I try to do with that drill is help the student understand the movement of your wrist drastically impacts the movement of the club face, just to tie that correlation. This drill, if I could tell you a quick backstory on it, um, I worked with uh Kim Kaufman for a year since she was just a little like, four, five, six years old, and and uh, made it to the tour, top fifty player in the world, um, just as a wonderful individual and wonderful person, and almost like a family member. But one of the things that Kim and I worked a lot on was the position of the club face at the top of her of her particular backswing, And this was for a tour pro, but it works well for all golfers. And uh she had a tendency to get the, her club face too open at the top, which could lead to certain types of shots. And this is a very common position for, uh, you know, probably a lot of your listeners. So one day in the range, I said, Hey, damn, let's just, let's put this tee in your glove right there. Okay. You got that. And I had her you know, move it around a little bit. I said, now when you get that, when you get the club to the top, your hands, to the top of the back, seat, just get that tee point towards the sky. And it was like a light bulb went off and it was like, boom. And she immediately started hitting better golf shots. And so, It's one of the ones I put in my toolbox from a tour approach. If somebody's never played golf, it's a good one.
0: And Todd, teaching today, when I look at how the golf swing is typically taught, it's kind of an an around our body sort of thing with our hands finishing low, around shoulder height. And I've I've always been more of a vertical line swinger. My hands are Mm. are high in a more vertical finish and that sort of thing. Talk through what should what should it look like if I if I was to have you know, if I videotape myself in my golf swing, for most of us, what should the golf swing look like at different points in the swing?
1: All right. Well, this is a good question because this is really at the heart of of the the whole. We call it the vertical line swing system. The book is a bad lie, but the vertical line swing system is is kind of the, the premise. And and I named it that because it had to do with the lead arm. And as I said, and this is very important to me. Is is that there's a lot of uh, coaching going on right now about getting the club deep behind you around you behind you coming on the downswing shallowing the club and these are all good things i said that already i'm not i'm not here to say that those things don't work obviously they do work for a lot of people but for the average person who has a bad hip a bad back a short so- a shoulder whatever it might be that, that's a tough position for them to to get the golf club in so what we'd like to see is i like to see the lean arm which is the left arm for a right-handed golfer work more work more on a vertical line more straight back and more up and a couple things happen number 1 is it creates length because it creates freedom anytime you move your lead arm across your chest you limit range of of motion and therefore length of swing um so i like to see it work more straight back i like to see it work more up i like even on the finish like you said chris i like to see the hands finish a little bit higher because i believe it promotes more of an inside uh to uh to out a uh, movement pattern, and when you look at when you look at some of the all time great players who who played golf for years and played great golf into their late careers, you know i mean jack nicholas johnny miller tom watson um you know these types of players, you'll see for a vast majority of them a lot of them have a lead arm that's a little bit more straight back and up, and even some of our younger players are seeing that now you look at uh Justin Thomas. You know, even as Jordan speaks a little bit. So um, I think it's a good concept for a lot of golfers.
0: Todd, like you mentioned a little bit ago, nothing about the game of golf is easy. And for most of us that have been playing the game for a long time, when things aren't going well, we start to think we're never going to get this right. Why? And you mentioned this in the book. Why is the fix easier than we think?
1: I think that um, I mean I, I'm a golf. I mean, uh, first and foremost, much like you, Chris. Like uh, uh, I mean, I'm a coach, but but first and foremost, I'm a lover of I love golf. You know, I love golf. I mean, I, I love to play golf. I I, um, and I think that whether it be myself, I don't know if this is experience for you, Chris, but but for a lot of your listeners out there and people who follow us on our YouTube channel and our email list and all over, you know, when they they understand that golf is 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 hard, it's one of the reasons they love it. It's not easy. It's hard. They they like the challenge of it, but when they really get discouraged, it's it's not because they had a bad day. It they're discouraged because they they don't know what to do, and and they're trying things and it's not working. So they're putting forth effort, and they're just getting no results, and so they feel lost. And and then after they feel lost, and this is the same way for tour pros that I've worked with too, is that when they feel lost, then that's when they get frustrated. And so I I work real hard in the book. I work real hard in our videos. I work real hard with the people that I see on a face-to-face situation, and that I that I coach. Let's let's find what works best for you. That's the ultimate journey that we're all on. I mean, I provide concepts in the book. Other instructors provide concepts, but ultimately, this is an individual journey that we're each on. And my job as a coach is to not dictate that, but to guide that. And and to help us each find that. And once you find those couple of things that are key for you and you remind yourself of those, the the fix is usually closer to us than we feel like it is. But because we're running around chasing something else and we haven't spent the time to just learn our own swing and understand our movement pattern, sometimes we can get lost and get frustrated.
0: Another place that I saw myself in the book, and that's when you start to talk about the sway, because that's me. so talk about weight distribution that's set up on the backswing and how we can make sure we're not swaying ourselves out of position
1: man am i happy you asked this question because this is uh this is one of the ones hey as coaches we all kind of get hammered on i mean even you know even uh, phil jackson you know i'm sure he got hammered on coaching concepts with uh, basketball but um This is one of the ones that people ask a lot about because I'm a huge, huge, huge believer. If your listeners only take one thing away from our conversation today, one is I hope that they love golf and they feel inspired to keep working at it, no matter their age or physical limitations. But I'm a huge believer in in starting with more weight pressure on the lead foot. So I we promote what we call 60-40. It's 60% of our weight on our lead foot, 40% on our trail. There's there's no magic behind 60. It could be 55-45. It could be 65-35. I don't care what it is, but more on the front because when we move our pressure, when we move weight, that creates rhythm, tempo, and cadence. And when you look at all other sports that we play, you look at throwing a baseball, hitting a tennis ball, throwing a football, you see movement of weight. You see shifting of pressure because that's what creates rhythm and tempo. And so We believe, I believe, that we start with a little bit more weight on the front foot. And as we move it to the trail foot, that creates that momentum that we're looking for. Now, the key concept there is how do we do that, as you said, first without swaying? Well, I think the the key to that is making sure that the weight moves to the inside, not the outside, the inside of the trail foot. Now, specifically, it should kind of move to the middle of the foot, but that's the key. So the question then becomes... How do I do that? And that leads into one of the core cornerstones of the vertical line swing system is is that I believe that the trail leg should release slightly so that the hips can turn. When the trail leg releases a little bit, that allows the weight to stay and the pressure to stay more on the inside of the foot versus the outside.
0: Todd, everything we hear about in the golf swing or in the game of golf anymore it's all about clubhead speed. You talked about the data at the top, but for those of us that are old enough, to your point as you've been making throughout the show, you know, we're 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 at the age where we could be out there on the champions tour. Clubhead speed isn't an easy thing to come by at this point. What can we do? What are some of the little things that we can do to generate more clubhead speed and then also get a little more distance?
1: Yeah, so let me give you a couple specific things that your listeners and and uh, people can can do. And then, then I do want to talk a little bit about distance because I I do have a little bit of a difference of take on it than than the industry does right now today. But so a couple things. Number one is shifting of weight pressure. Okay, that can help. Like we said, you you watch a baseball, uh, a pitcher, you're going to see movement. You watch Tom Brady throw a football, you're going to see movement of pressure. So number one is starting with some weight on your lead foot, moving it to your trail foot. Will help that. Number two, movement, rotation. Let the trail leg release so you can turn your hips. When you can turn your hips versus restricting your hips, you get more shoulder rotation. It gives you length to the swing. So those are the those would be the first two things. The third one, these are all the core concepts of of the vertical line swing system. The third one is getting the lead arm more straight back and up so you get some height. Things being equal you know when the lead arm is higher versus lower you're going to get more club head speed if you look at you look at long drive champions people who hit the ball long ways you'll see lead arms that are more straight back and up you won't see them low and around i mean there there might be some exceptions but the vast majority of them are back so those would be three things number one is make sure you move some pressure to the trail foot so you got something to load number two is get some movement. Let the hips turn. Let the shoulders turn so you can get some some rotation. And then number three, get some height. Get some height to your to your lead arm going back.
0: So talk about distance. What's your take on distance? It may be a little different than what we're traditionally hearing.
1: Yeah, this is a good one because I get a lot of I get some people disagree, and that that's okay. That's the beauty of golf. <laughs> that's just like we talked about. That's a that's the beauty of golf. Is it's it's, it's an individual journey. And you gotta find your journey. So, so here's my thing the, the industry right now is on this huge kick of distance, distance, distance. And, and let, let's, let's be very clear. Uh, cause if you and I are playing around the golf and, and you drive the ball, in the, you know, you drive the ball 290 yards in the middle of the fairway and I drive the ball 250 yards in the middle of the fairway, you certainly have an advantage. I'm, I'm not going to debate that, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is, this is the premise of the book, really the bad lie is that the information that we're pushing to Jim who's 55 and just retired or you know Sue who's 67 and just took up golf for the first time we're taking data and information from the best players in the world and what they're doing now what John Rom can do with a golf club and a golf ball is not the same thing that Bill who's 65 can do with a golf ball when Bill hits a shot in the rough and he's 65 years old and he's got no club head speed that's not the same as John Rahm, who's in the rough and has got you know 125 miles an hour of clubhead speed. He can do things with that golf ball that Bill can't do. And so what I see when I watch people golf, I watch a lot of golf. I watch a lot of amateurs golf. I watch a lot of high school golf, college golf. Is is that most people are not making bogeys and double bogeys because they can't get to par fours and two. They're making bogeys and double bogeys because they're in the weeds, they're in the trees, they're out of bounds, they can't get out of a bunker, or they 3 pies. And so is distance important? You're damn right it's important. But it's most important at the top tiers of the game, not so much on the local club level. And that's really kind of where I see it differently than a lot of people do right now.
0: No, and I agree with that a 100%, because at 57 years old, I'm driving the ball, you know, two twenty, two thirty. But it, it the game is a lot easier if I'm driving at two twenty, two thirty in the middle of the fairway than I am trying to figure out how to get it out of ankle high grass that I'm now probably gonna only make it go, you know, a few yards, or if I'm in the trees and I'm trying to, you know, navigate and try to pull off the hero shot, you know, I can get it between those trees. I'll go up there, I'll go over here, I'll turn it that way, you know, and then it clanks the tree and now I'm gonna make triple. So being in the short grass at our age, makes a heck of a lot of difference. What is something that we've talked about balance and and some of the fundamentals, but really just trying to aim for the fact that let me hit this shot. My my friend Angelo Cain always jokes that, you know what, I can't wait to be that 80-year-old guy. That it hits it 150 yards straight down the middle, and then I hit it another 150 yards straight down the middle, and then I chip it on, and then I make a putt or two, and I walk away with four or five. He's like, I can't wait to be that guy, because this guy hits it in the trees and in the rough and all over the place. How can we hit it straight in the middle,
1: Todd? Yeah, man, you're speaking my you're speaking my language here, because um and this is, you know, not to go off on a tangent here, but this is important for listeners, because... Uh-huh. We have to understand that the information that's being pushed to us, albeit, like I said three times now, albeit good information, but it's information that is generally geared and based off the best players in the world who are practicing hours a day, are world class athletes, and can do things with that golf ball that you, that you or I or the people who listen to this are not able to do. We, we've seen it a hundred times. How many times have we seen a shot? Tiger Woods, Roy McElroy, whatever, Phil Mickelson. At, the, at Augusta, in the trees, hits a big, huge, high hooking forehand around the trees, knocks on the green and makes an eagle. Right? Okay. Right. Because he has that shot. Ninety-nine point nine percent of us, when we're in that same situation, we're chipping it out sideways. So it's not apples to apples. It's a, it's a, it's a different. It's, it's, it's different. So the question becomes: What, what are some things that that we can that we can do? Um, well, number one. Is, you know, rhythm and balance. I mean, just basic stuff, rhythm, balance, you know, making sure that when we, when we finish our swing, we're in balance, we're on our lead foot, our knees are touching. Okay. Things just, just basically picking up good targets. You know, if, if we're hitting a shot into a green, is our, is our target really the pin? If the pin is tucked in the corner over a bunker, probably not the target. Quite frankly, should be just somewhere on the green or the middle of the green. So I think good target awareness, understanding where we should be aiming based on our capabilities, and just understanding that, hey, 225 in the fairway is better than 250 in the trees.
0: Let me take that target awareness thing further, because that's sort of the thing that I've changed about my mental approach to playing the game. I'm not, you know, I had a realization one day, I'm not good enough to hit for pins. You know, I I have just become a golfer that I'm trying to hit the middle of the green, even regardless of where the pin is, if it's up front or in the back, because, you know, there are those times and we have to have a little self-realization. I'm not going to hit every shot perfectly to whatever distance it is. Sometimes I'm going to come up short. Sometimes I'm going to catch it a little better than I normally do. And it's going to go further. So if. The, if the pin is in the front, it's in the middle or it's in the back. I'm just, I have just become a player that says, let's just hit it in the middle of the green and then we'll, we'll figure out how to two putt from there. And if we get lucky every once in a while, a birdie will fall in. But talk about that mindset. Yeah,
1: that's a good question. So, so not to date ourselves here, but, but I know Chris, you and I are probably similar ages here. And when you and I first, you know, and, and one, one of my, one of my really good friends from junior golf, uh, one of the original guys at Bushnell, um And I kind of tease him on, I, I said, Jason, I said, y- you know, you guys are, you, you guys are ruining, ruining golf Of course. You're ruining course management. And he looks at me like, what are you talking about? I said, well, when you and I were young, when we played golf. There was only one yardage that was available to us. And that was the middle of the green. They had markers, a hundred, 150 and 200. And those markers were measured to the, to the middle of the green. Or some, sometimes they might have a more you know, to the front of the green, the middle and the back, right? And so we had to walk those off. But the first yardage that we always got, because it was the only one that was available to us, was to the middle of the green. And so that was our starting point. That was our reference point. And everything else worked off that. Okay, now, kids, adults, they don't even look at that. They just grab the rangefinder, they click it, they're like, oh, 132 yards, boom, nine iron. And they hit the shot, not realizing that, yeah, it's 132 yards, but it's only four yards over the bunker. And it's 150 yards to the middle of the green. And so you're 100% correct. Getting the yardage to the middle of the green and just aiming and hitting for the middle of the green will save most golfers three, four shots around.
0: Todd, I'm sure you've seen tons of different training aids, new equipment designs, they come around. Every year, other, you know, everyone's claiming more distance, more accuracy. Some are brand names, some are off brand names. There are tons of them. Have you seen golf clubs that, you know, may not carry the the major brand names on them that you think, you know what? This one actually does work.
1: It's a good point. So yeah, so we, we do on our side at, at U.S. golf TV, we and, and myself, I've, I've done quite a bit of uh, stand up or pitch, whatever you want to call it. Uh, for different types of clubs that, that, most people have not heard of. Um, and there have been some of them, uh, you know, that, that, that are actually can help the average, average golfer. Matter of fact, we, we've not, not to self promote too much, but we have one of our own clubs, uh, coming out. It's going to be, it's going to be called the Max Vert, which is a Driver, um, that I met with, uh, Josh, who's our club designer. He, Josh designed clubs for the, a couple of the big major names for, for decades. And I went to him and I said, Josh, here's the deal. It says my golfers who read the bad lie, who are in the vertical line swing system, you know, our avatars, we, we taught, um, they struggle with, they can't get no height to the ball with their driver. They lack, they lack trajectory and height. And of course, uh, they lack, therefore they lack carry. And, and if anything, they, they tend to slice the golf bar or leave it off to the right at their right hand golfer. I need a golf club that helps them get the ball in the air and, and his draw bias. I said, you know, that's, what's important. So that's what we came up with. So we built in some different things in there, in the design, actually just shifting the, the what we call the shaft shift, moving the shaft just slightly off, off the end or off the hosel. So we, we've got the right amount of loft on it. We've got a line on the top for Amy. We call it the fairway finder line. So now is John Rahm or a tour pro going to play that club? Of course not, because they're not, they don't struggle with that shot, but for the average golfer who needs to get the ball up in there, they need some more loft. They need a club that helps them release the club face and rotate a little bit and get it to turn over. So much like all the concepts, Chris, that we've been talking about, that would be my real, my real thing. I hope we leave with your audience is not that clubs, course management, information, uh, course strategy that they're getting is wrong, but they have to ask themselves: Is this information? tailored to me and what I'm capable of doing physically and, and what I'm capable of doing with the golf club. And also, is that golf club built for somebody like me or is it built for somebody uh, who's who's got two pro swing speed?
0: Time before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can go out there and get a copy of your book and then also watch your video lessons and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media.
1: Yeah. So the book is The Bad Lie. The best place is it's all over Amazon. Uh, you get it right there. If you like it, that'd be great. Uh, leave a review. I read all the reviews. The best place to find, you can find us at usgolftv.com, usgolftv.com and get on our email list. We send out tons of free stuff every week. and And of course, our YouTube channel. U.S. golf TV. That's where most people find us. Um, promise you this. I, I literally read every single comment. We get, we get hundreds and hundreds of comments. I read them all. I try to respond to almost every single one of them. We love hearing from our audience and, and we're, we're ultimately, just like I said, I love golf and I just want other people to love golf and, and, and play golf as long as they can and help them understand that no matter what age they're at or where they're at, they can still play good golf and they can still get better. And our real mission and objective is to get information to those people at those particular stages of life and careers that helps them play better golf.
0: Well, Todd, it has been great having you as part of the show today. You're fantastic. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again real soon.
1: Well, I appreciate it. And thank you for giving us the platform to share our love and passion for the game. And our door's always open. If we can do it again, let's do it.
0: I appreciate you, Todd. Stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thank you. See you, Todd. That is Todd Kolb. K-O-L-B is the spelling of his last name. com is the website. And the book, again, for all of us. It's for all of us that aren't going to be pros one day, but it's going to make all of us a heck of a lot better golfers. The title of the book is The Bad Lie, Why Traditional Golf Instruction Is Failing You, and what to do instead. You can find it out on Amazon.com. Todd's fantastic. I loved going through the book. A lot of really great instruction that's going to, I know, going to help my game. I'm sure it'll help yours as well. Look forward to having Todd back as part of the show. Look forward to the driver update. Boy, if he's got a club that can help us off the tee, I'm all for that and want to hear all about it. So as soon as we can get Todd back on and he's got something more to share, I promise you, we'll get him back here quickly. Thank you for tuning in to this very special segment of Next on the T. And please keep your eyes on our website nextonthetea.net and going back to your favorite podcasting app, whatever it is, you're going to find us on there. We'll continue to bring you special segments throughout the winter. Looking forward to season number 10 that will get kicked off in early 2023. But keep checking out our website. More great content coming for you throughout the winter. Special segments, special interviews with great folks from around the golf industry. And folks, I am so thankful for you because your continued support has kept us at number two in the podcast magazine Hot 50 list. They had their big year and double issue come out, and we were number two in their Hot 50 list. So we finish out 2022 number two on the Hot 50 list. And again, all thanks to you and to our wonderful guests here on the show week in and week out. I thank you so very much, folks. You're fantastic. I hope you have a great holiday season. And again, keep checking us out. We'll be back with more. Until then, hit them straight, my friends. Well, I'm-